Okay, so have you ever had a moment when I'm reading a scripture thing or you're at home reading a piece of the scripture and, and you find yourself disagreeing? Like, you know, you're reading through it and you're going, yeah, I don't think so, Jesus. You ever been there? I mean, you know, you know. So in, in a minute, I'm going to read a story that, that in, in my ministry has been one of the ones, uh, one of Jesus' teachings that I, I've probably gotten the most pushback on from uh, different congregations. And, and the first time that happened years ago in South Bluff, South Bluff was mostly working folks, and so they worked hourly, and, and I worked hourly for the first part of my career too. So I understood that, that concept, and I, and I did this story and, and preached on it that morning about the generosity of God. And, and at the end of the service, uh, this little lady, a wonderful woman in my congregation, 82, 83 years old at that time, comes up to me, and, 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 and she comes up, and she says, Tom, I'm really blanked off. I went, oh? And she goes, yeah, I don't like that blank. And I'm thinking, whoa, she's really hot. I mean, if Gertrude's cussing in church, I mean, this is really bad. You know, she's really upset. But it was, it's not fair. It's not fair. So, I, you know, have you ever been in that place where you're thinking, oh, okay, I don't like this. You know, I don't like this stuff. And, and if you're there and you're thinking, hmm, I don't like what I'm hearing and I don't like what this is and what's being said and what Jesus is teaching here, then the, then the question is, whose voice at that moment are you listening to? Let's pray. Father, come on this uh, gray cloudy morning and uh, enlighten us and warm us up with your presence. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here's the story that Gertrude objected to. Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is like an estate manager <clears throat> who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. They agreed on a wage of a dollar a day and went to work. Later, about nine o'clock, the manager saw some other men hanging around the town square unemployed. He told them to go to work in his vineyard and he would pay them a fair wage. They went. He did the same thing at noon and again at three o'clock. At five o'clock, he went back and found still others standing around. He said, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? And they said, because no one hired us. He told them to go work in his vineyard. When the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last hired and go on to the first. Those hired at five o'clock came up and were each given a dollar. When those who were hired first saw that, they assumed they would get far more. But they got the same, each of them, one dollar. Taking the dollar, they groused angrily to the manager. These last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just made them equal to us who slaved all day under a scorching sun. And he replied to the one speaking for the rest, Friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of a dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. I decided to give to the one who came last the same as you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Am I going to get stingy? Am, are you going to get stingy because I am generous? Here it is again, the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. Okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but I'm just wondering how many of you think, well, it's not fair. What is he thinking? That's not the way it works. 
You know, years ago when, when Ashlyn was starting, I think she was like maybe sixth grade or something, we're in corp, I mean, in, uh, in Seguin, and she comes in my office, she was wound up about something one day, she's in my office, she's good, Dad, it's not fair, it's not fair, and my associate Kathy Edwards comes into my office and she says, Ashlyn, show me your certificate, and Ashlyn, you know, looks at her, you know, gives her the, how dumb are you look, uh, that, you know, that teenagers do, and, and says, what, what, what are you talking about? And Kathy says, yeah, you know, show me the certificate they gave you when you were born that said life is fair. You know that saying, if looks could kill, right? You know, I mean, and Kathy left the room about three feet shorter, Ashley just, yeah, mm, yeah, you know, I mean, but, but that's it. I mean, that's what people hear. Now, what Jesus is teaching about in this is the generosity of God. And, and what people hear is, it's not fair. Isn't that interesting? I mean, have you ever been in a church and, and you know, you, you've you know, kind of tried to get your life in order and live the way God wants us to live and, and be in that place? And then someone shows up who's, you know, kind of had a rough life and they've converted late in life and they're so filled with happiness and joy and you find yourself thinking, it's not fair. Why do they get to be so happy, those latecomers to the party? Right? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because in the story, Jesus is teaching about the generosity of God's love and how God gives freely to us. And, and, and what we do is we start comparing ourselves to one another. Instead of hearing about generosity, we start worrying about fairness. And the story is not about fairness at all. It's about generosity. So who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? There's another story. <clears throat> where Jesus is talking to them because he understands, <laughs> he understands that, you know, we don't always listen to him. And so he says, I I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I mean, he knows, he knows that we tend to listen to other voices, and he says, don't, don't do that. Those other folks, they're just here to tear you down. I'm here to give you life and more than you ever wanted to. And don't, so don't listen to those folks that want to tear you down. If we go back into the Genesis story, go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and there, there they are, Adam and Eve in the garden. They got everything they want, and they're looking at that tree thinking, man, that looks really good, but God said not to eat that. Do you remember what Satan says to them when they're, when they're explaining this to Satan while they can't eat the tree? Satan says, did God really say that to you? Is that really what God said? Are you sure about that? I mean, that's what happens is Satan plants that seed. Are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure that's who you should listen to? You know, we, we, we in the church uh, don't often deal with temptation in very serious kinds of ways. And so sometimes I, I, I think we, we don't really understand it that well. So I'm, I just want to spend a moment and be really clear about this. You know, temptation, uh, if you were to listen to Hollywood and, and all the kind of movies and all that kind of stuff, you would think that, you know, when temptation is all about Satan coming to us and it would look something like this, right? I mean, this is kind of, right? Here it is. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's be honest. If you're walking home one evening and you run into this, are you going to say, oh, yes, I want some of that. I'm all in for that, right? Is that what you're going to, no, you're going to be running the other way, aren't you? That's not temptation. That scares the pants off me. This is what temptation looks like. 
Yeah. Okay, sit down over there. Stop. It's just a picture. Right? I mean, this is what temptation looks like. It's the things that, that we want. It's the things that call us. It's the things that appeal to the weakness in us. It's the things that come at us vulnerable. Satan's name, Satan's name in the Old Testament is the adversary or the opponent or the tester. He's not going to come at you like this. He's going to come at you at your weak points. And we tend to make fun of it a lot of times in our culture. Um, was it Mae West there? I generally avoid temptation unless I can't resist it. And the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. I mean, we kind of make light of it. But the truth is, it, it, it's, it's the way he comes at us. Satan comes at us very sophisticated, subtle at the places that are weak, are our weak points. I like the lower one here. The devil doesn't come dressed in a red cape and pointy horns. He comes as everything you've ever wished for. Comes at our weak point, our vulnerabilities. That's where, that's where temptation comes. C.S. Lewis said, A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Mm. That's the way it is. It, it comes at us in our weak points and in our vulnerabilities and the places where we are insecure. That's the word Satan speaks into us. Are you sure that's what God said to you? Are you sure that God loves you? Are you sure that God cares about you? There's a story that Jesus told his disciples. Um, about uh, two people who are at the temple praying. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax man. The Pharisee posed and prayed like this, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Now, I'm going to stop for a minute. Have you ever been there? I think almost every one of us say at one time or another, we may not have said it that way. Usually the way we say it is, thank God I'm not like, Right? But almost every one of us has done that at some point or another. Oh, God, I thank you I'm not like this other man. Robbers, crooks, adulterers are heaven forbid like this tax man. I fast twice a week and tithe on all my income. I'm so wonderful. Meanwhile, the tax man slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up, said, God, give mercy, forgive me a sinner. And Jesus commented, this tax man, not the other, went home made right with God. If you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. When we begin to doubt God's care for us and God's love for us, and when we begin to listen to vo the voice that says, God doesn't really love you, God doesn't really care about you, you're really not that much in God's eyes, we become vulnerable to all kinds of temptations. And one of the ways we deal with that is by, by building ourselves up in comparison to other people and comparing ourselves to other people. You know, well, you know, I know I'm not that wonderful, but at least I'm better than this one. And we begin to try to, to lift ourselves up instead of relying on God to lift us up. Sometimes we even begin to think that, you know, we are, we are indispensable to the world. You know, if it wasn't for me, the world would be a poorer place, right? Margaret Atwood's great quote, which of us can resist the temptation of being thought indispensable? Gosh, if it wasn't for me, the world just wouldn't be as good. 
You know, a number of years ago, I had a really interesting experience. Uh, when I traveled, when, when my kids were young and I, and I would be leaving town for different things, I'd always kind of be thinking about, well, you know, I, you know I, making sure everything's taken care of and worrying a little bit, you know, sometimes, especially uh, when, when you're going places and you're flying or doing something and you're not really in charge of everything that happens and you think, well, you know, if something goes wrong, and I would worry about, you know, are the kids going to be okay? And is Cindy going to be okay? And they're going to, everything, you know, I mean, so you'd worry a little about that. And then a couple of years ago, I was getting ready to take off on a trip, and I'm sitting at the airport, <clears throat> and all of a sudden I realized, you know, my, my kids are grown. And they turned out okay. That's you know, they grew up with me. That's pretty amazing. They turned out okay, you know, and, 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 they're, and they're good, and they're solid, and they're, they're, they're good to go, and Cindy's okay and everything. And, and you know, if, if, I, if I don't come back, they're going to be okay. I'm expendable. And the interesting thing was that instead of, instead of kind of that being a depressing thought, it actually was kind of freeing, you know? Ah, God's got this. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm not indispensable, and that's okay. I mean, when, when we begin to, to, to miss that connection with God, and we begin to doubt God, and we begin to listen to those voices whispering on our ears that's when we're so vulnerable to temptation to try to build ourselves up or grasp at something or achieve something or buy something or do something to build ourselves up because we're not trusting that God's got it. Now, there's one piece about temptation I'm going to tell you, which is God doesn't leave us alone in that. And there's a traditional saying where people will say, God will not tempt you beyond what you're able to handle. That's really not quite what the teaching is. The teaching is this, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. You hear that he doesn't say you won't be tested beyond your limit. You will be. But what he says is when you're tested beyond your limit, God will be with you and will hold you up and sustain you through that. He will always be with you if you just stay connected with God. And that's the key piece of all of these teachings is the generosity of God and the love of God that holds on to us and that loves us. And if we're connected with that, then there's no weakness there. There's no vulnerability. Father Henry Nowen, um, who I got to do some retreats with many years ago, has a wonderful way of talking about this. Over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. My dark side says, I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. 
And is Satan saying into your life, did God really say that he loves you? Are you sure? You sure that's what he said? You sure you heard that? And when we begin to listen to that, we open ourselves up to all kind of havoc. You see, temptation comes on us and works on our places of weakness. But when, we're, when we hold on to God, when we hold tight to God, and we listen to God's voice, then there's no way for it to get in. So my friends, I, I want you to hear this morning, when you're, when you're traveling through life and, and those voices are whispering in your ear and asking you to compare yourselves to one another or telling you you need this or you need that or, or someone's treated you wrong or you have to have this or you have to have that, just, just reach up and take hold of God's hand and hold on to it. And remember that God loves you. And God will take you from that place of temptation and torment to where you are invincible in God's love. Why don't you just hold your hand up and act like you're taking hold of God's hand for a minute and let's pray. Mm. Father, we walk through this world and, and people pull at us and things pull at us and voices speak to us and and we hear those voices telling us that we are not worthy, that we're not lovable, that we need this or we need that to be worthy, that we have to compare ourselves to each other and be better than each other. Uh, so, Father, in all those moments, we just ask you to hold on to us, to take our hand, to remind us that we are your children, that we are your beloved. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.